Um, so my first question for you is, what do you do with your time? Um, yeah, hi, thanks for coming, thanks for having me. Um, I, uh, I'm a, I kind of work for a church. Um, that's, that's been my sort of normal employment for the last uh, 10 years or so. So I'm often doing work-wise, that's, that's what a lot of my time is given to. Outside of work, I enjoy hiking, enjoy hanging out with friends, watching movies, um, cooking, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Thanks so you're originally from the UK and now uh, situated in the US, um, but you visit Australia a few times now for different events and such. What's your favourite and least favourite thing about Australia? Um, uh, my favourite thing is probably Tim Tams. Um, we don't have, don't have those in England, so um, I kind of lose self-control. I've discovered I can, literally can eat an entire packet in one sitting. Um, which is not, not fun the next day. Um, least favourite thing, I think, is that every aspect of the ecosystem here is wanting to kill me horribly. <laughs> and I come from England where we, we don't have weird weather, we don't have crocodiles, we don't have sharks, we don't have poisonous snakes, we don't have poisonous spiders. Um, so, if, you know, everything just feels tinged with danger. It's like, oh, those are nice woods to walk in. Oh, yeah, but there's snakes in there. And that's a nice bit of water, but there'll be a shark or a crocodile or something. So it feels like nature really doesn't, doesn't like me here. <laughs> England is a nice garden, whereas this is just like, don't come here, we'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't even talked about the people yet, but uh, that's just uh, everyone else. And, and when did you first wrestle with the question of how do we find our identity? Yeah, I think like most people, I kind of, uh, I've got angsty in my teenage years. Um, just sort of, sort of thinking about where do, I, where do I fit in with everybody else, you know, who am I? What, what you know? What is my life about? Um, and kind of, went, I was a sort of <laughs> a, a, a combination of being someone who's naturally quite philosophical, whilst having absolutely no skill at philosophy. So I, I would I would spend many hours as a teenager sat at home, sort of stroking my chin and pondering the meaning of everything, but never thought to kind of read a book or ask any questions about it or anything like that. So. Um, that's when I first started wrestling with it, and obviously uh, when I became a Christian, that then gave me a very different way to think about those things as well, and made, made the question actually even more kind of poignant and, and meaningful. Cool, thanks, Sam. So, uh, that, that's the slide code, so feel free to fill that out at any time. I'm going to hand over to Sam now, and he's going to give his talk. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, lovely to, to be with you all. Enjoy uh, coming down under. Um, I love coming to Perth because uh, we have distant relatives in Perth who would come over to visit us in England and um, it was always cool to catch up with them. One of them is the, is the kind of family nerd who's done all the sort of family tree and family history stuff. So uh, I always heard about Perth and it's nice to come and actually see the place. So yeah, thanks for letting me be here. So our question is how can I find my identity? Um, I was doing university student ministry for, for many years back in the UK and discovered there are three ways to spot a student who's had a gap year. Uh, certainly in England, you can tell me if it's the same with Australian students. Here are the three things. The first one is they, they wear beads. I don't know why, but uh, all my friends who went on gap years would come back wearing beads. Uh, the second thing is they would insist on the local pronunciation of the place that they had been to. So they would insist on saying, I've been to Nicaragua. <laughs> um, that was annoying. 
Um, and then the third thing was <laughs> they had found themselves. Uh, maybe this was just my generation in the 90s, but this sort of seemed to be the big thing, was you, you weren't really going to learn about other cultures or other places or anything like that. You were, you were kind of going to discover yourself, uh, to find out who you really were. And the, the favoured way of doing that, certainly among my, my kind of crowd, it always seemed to involve going somewhere exotic. Um, I, I've yet to find someone who you know, lives in Southeast Asia and decided to visit Birmingham in England to find themselves. It's always us going somewhere like that. And for some reason, backpacking through the jungle and not washing for three months is, is one of the ways to, to find yourself, if those friends are anything to go by. So I don't know if that's the case with, with you guys or whether I've just offended every single one of you. But, um, uh, but much as I, I kind of want to poke at it and, and make a bit of fun of it, there is something significant going on in that whole process. And I took a gap year myself. And it, it was, yeah, it was an enlightening time in lots of ways. And the fact is we, we don't instinctively and automatically have a, a kind of full purchase on who we are. Um, and so if you, if you, as I did this morning, for your benefit, I typed self-discovery into the search box on Amazon just to see what it kicked up. And there's, as you would expect, a gajillion books on self-discovery. It, it's a whole thing. Um, there's a market there. And the reason there's such a market there is because there is a, a perceived gap for many of us when it comes to this. Uh, we, we don't have a complete sense of, of who we might be. And so we, we, you know, it's, it's part of life, it's part of maturity, it's part of growth to try and work on understanding who we are. That's seen as, as kind of part of a healthy way of developing. And uh, today, um, as I kind of look around, a, a key part today in self-discovery isn't necessarily trekking around Cambodia or something like that. It, it's looking inside your heart. That seems to be the domain kind of focus today of how we discover who we are. Um, we're meant to look in our heart, discover who we really are, and then who we really are is what we have to then be true to. That seems to be the sort of general sense today of how we discover our identity. In other cultures, and other kind of parts of the world, it's quite different. Your identity is given to you by your community. You don't come up with it yourself, you don't discover it, they just tell you this, this is who you are. Uh, this is where you fit into the, 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 the community and the group and you just get on with it. But in our, in our culture, you don't, you don't get given your identity, only you can find your identity. No one else can, can tell you who you are. That, that's for you to discover and for you alone. And it's everybody else's job to, to accept that. Whatever you discover your identity to be is a matter for everybody else to receive it. Which means that for us, identity is not just a, a bit of a curiosity. It's, it's something we believe that is vital to how we flourish. Um, I need to know who I most truly am in order to be, filled, to, to be fulfilled. I've got, I've got to know my heart in order to be true to it. And so if, if someone never really discovers their true identity, we see that as being tragic. That, that's, that's almost a waste of their life. Or if someone does discover who they truly are, but then they don't live in a way that's true to that, we, we kind of think that's not just missing out, that's, that's really unhealthy. That that's, might even be damaging to you, not to be living out who you truly are. 
So it's a matter of flourishing. It's, it's become a matter of justice, therefore. Uh, to live out your identity today is, is seen as a, a cherished and vital kind of human right. Uh, we see that reflected in some of the, the sort of laws that we, we now have, trying to protect people's way of, of identifying and, and all those kinds of things. Um, and again, it all assumes that we need to find who we are. And it means that if we don't accept someone's identity, if we don't affirm someone's identity, that is probably the unforgivable sin in our culture. It's not just a, a difference of opinion. It's not just a difference of philosophy. It's not even just a difference of, you know, religious conviction. It is seen as rejecting someone at the deepest level of who they are if we don't receive and accept their identity. So that, that as I understand it, that seems to be the way we kind of do these things in our own cultural time. Um, it does raise some questions. I want to suggest there are some, there are some ways in which that, that doesn't always work neatly. Uh, I think there are some limitations to it. Uh, the first is it, it's not always a very coherent way of approaching things. Um, it feels kind of intuitive and it feels kind of right up to a point. But where, where do you draw the line? How, how, how much can someone legitimately claim for themselves just based on, on how they feel and based on what they think is going on inside their hearts? Uh, when it comes to someone's Sexual identity, we kind of feel, yep, that, that, that's fair enough. When it comes to someone's gender identity, we tend to think, yep, fair enough. What about race? When someone says, well, deep down inside, I, I believe myself to, to belong to this particular ethnic group, when they don't seem to, a lot of people are a bit more hesitant. We've seen examples of that recently. Uh, what if someone was to, to sort of self-identify as, as an age that they clearly aren't? Where do we draw the line? Most of us do draw the line somewhere. Most of us would kind of say, well, yeah, in these cases, that works, that checks out, that seems okay. In these other cases, that, that's obviously not appropriate. But, but on what basis do we make that distinction? Um, another potential uh, drawback with this approach, I think, is that it can be quite crushing. Because whatever it is we, we determine to be our core identity that then becomes the key to us being fulfilled. And if that particular aspect of life doesn't turn out to go very well, it can make us feel as though our entire life is falling apart. And I, I've seen this just in life as a, as a pastor. You know, you, 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 you get a sort of front row seat into lots of different people's lives. I've seen people where their, their core identity has been as a parent, and you realise that can become crushing to them because the moment their kids turn away from them or there's a breakdown in, in relationship, it can feel as though life itself is now over. I've seen it with people whose core identity is in what they feel they can achieve. Um, their grades, their, their prospects, their earning potential, that, that kind of stuff. And, and the moment that gets threatened again, it can feel as though life might be over. Whatever it is that we, we think is the key to our identity, if we're not careful, that thing can completely crush us. We're, we're making so much of our sense of, of happiness and fulfilment and wholeness contingent on that one aspect of our lives. And the moment that one aspect of our lives is threatened, it can feel as though life is over. It might be our looks, it might be our health, it might be our 
sexual identity, it might be our romantic life, it might be any number of things. But it can become crushing. Here's a, another uh, drawback, I think, with this approach, and it's one I'm, I'm now getting from my Christian faith, but one of the things Jesus Christ says is that our hearts are not the solution to the, the angst and the questions that we have. He says our hearts are the problem. He says it's from out of the heart that, that evil thoughts come into our lives. What, what makes us not right, what makes us feel as though there's, there's something that doesn't quite add up with who we are, Jesus says actually that the root issue of that is in fact our hearts. They are not the reliable guides that we might think they are. And therefore when we look deep inside our hearts and we see all kinds of longings, all kinds of desires, all kinds of intuitions and instincts and beliefs, Jesus is saying we, we want to be really careful because the heart can be very deceptive. So the fact is, that one of the claims of the Christian faith is we're not, we're not fully qualified to find our own identity. Uh, that doesn't mean we go back to the other cultural kind of model and everybody else tells us what it is. That, that doesn't really work either. That has its own problems. But if we, if we try to come up with our own identity, it's, it's a bit like trying to make your own clothes when you don't know what your measurements are. I'm doubting any of us have ever done that, but you know, just imagine that. And you kind of make clothes, you kind of guess, and you, you think, well, actually, this bit fits well, this bit is a bit tight, this bit is far too baggy. It, it's a bit like that. Whatever identity we come up with will work in some areas, but it won't fully fit us. Because we don't have enough self-knowledge to truly understand who we really are. Which is why the, the Christian approach to these things, one of the things we see in, in the, implicit in the message of Jesus, is you don't look in to find your identity, you don't look around to hear it from everybody else. Actually, what we need to do is to look up and, and to begin to find our identity through a relationship with our Creator. So I want to read a couple of verses from uh, one of the Psalms in the Old Testament. It's a, one of the more well-known Psalms. You may have heard some of these words before. If you, if, even if you're not a, a Christian, they've kind of come into popular culture in, in different ways over the years. But in Psalm 8, verses 3 to 5, this is a, a, a prayer of David um, to God. Let me just read these, these verses. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 5. David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honour. Uh, what do we discover if we do try to look up, as it were, to find our identity from, from God, or from something transcendent? Uh, this, this psalm shows us two things. We, we will be confronted with two things. Two things that we already sense are true, and yet which this psalm can help us to understand more fully. That The first thing is we are confronted with our smallness. That is one of the things a, a, a relationship with God is always going to impress upon us, is our smallness. Uh, we, we get that sense already just when we look at the natural world around us, don't we? Often if we're really thinking about the natural world, we, we have a sense of smallness. I, a friend of mine once said that no one ever stands next to the Grand Canyon and says, I'm awesome. 
There, there's something kind of about the, the, the scale and beauty of nature that sort of puts us in our place. It, it kind of re-proportions our view of things. And that, that's healthy. We, we sense that that's healthy. Uh, if someone really believes and acts as though they are the centre of the universe, that, that's normally not a healthy thing. And David, in this psalm, he has a, a similar experience just by, by looking up at the night sky. Um, there's a, I think there's a Sherlock Holmes story where uh, Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson are, are out camping somewhere overnight in the course of some investigation. And they're looking up at the stars and, and Sherlock says to Watson, hey, when you look at the stars, what do they tell you? And Watson says something like, well, it kind of shows us the, the grandeur of the universe and the finitude of our humanity and all this kind of stuff. Senses that wasn't the right answer and says to, to Holmes, what, why, what does it tell you? And Holmes says, it tells me someone stole our tent. <laughs> As you know, that isn't a Sherlock Holmes story, but I've heard it. It sounds good. Uh, Neil Armstrong, um, this is a great quote. I, I've been trying to check it out. Everyone cites Neil Armstrong. There's a few people are saying it wasn't him who said it. It was one of the other astronauts from a different mission. But one of these guys said when they were kind of reflecting on, on what it was like looking back on Earth, either from the moon or from, from space itself, we think it was Neil Armstrong, he said, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the Earth. And he said, I, I put up my thumb and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out planet Earth. And he then adds, I didn't feel like a giant, I felt very, very small. That sense of all of human civilization, all of human history, all of human achievement, all of human culture, you just stick your thumb over the, the earth and all of it suddenly ceases to exist. And the universe doesn't notice. So there is a sense in which the natural world and, and the scale of, of the, the universe itself humbles us. Uh, David has that again looking up at the stars. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have put in place... What is man that you're mindful of him? Why, why do we matter? Now, I live just outside of, of London. I'm, I'm in the process of moving to, to America. And in, in both places, I'm in, I'm in proximity to a lot of, you know, urban light, light pollution. So I've never really seen the, the full night sky. When I look up at the sky back in England, I can maybe count three or four stars if I'm lucky. I'm guessing you guys... You know, once you get out of Perth and out into the, the sticks a bit, you can look up and I'm sure you must have had experiences of looking up at a night sky that is completely unaffected by light pollution and you get therefore a sense of just how many stars there are. That is what David is doing. And yet as he asks that question, he, he's forced to wonder why we would matter to God. He's confronted by a smallness. But here's the thing, David isn't, <laughs> David isn't wondering if we matter, David is wondering why we matter. David is already assuming we do. Which leads to the second thing that we get confronted by. We get confronted by our smallness, we also get confronted by our significance, which is counterintuitive. Given the scale of the universe and how absolutely tiny we are compared to it, yet we still have a sense that we matter. Um, there's probably a variety of views in this room about where we all come from. Some of us will be Christians and believe that we're, we're created by God intentionally and he had us in mind to do that. 
Um, some of us might, might say that we're atheists and we believe we just, we just evolved randomly. That, that's all that happened. Some of us might be on the fence a bit and not entirely sure one way or the other. But I'm guessing that all of us believe that we matter. Whatever our beliefs, our formal beliefs are about where we've come from, all of us actually live as though we matter. We all sense that we do. We all sense life should have some kind of meaning and purpose, even if we don't know what that meaning or purpose is. Uh, we all sense something profound is happening when a human being is born. Um, in the 10th of December 1948, the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights was first kind of announced or published in, in, in Paris. And Article 1 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. And we wouldn't question that, I'm guessing. That, that to us just seems self-evident. That just seems obviously right. But if you take the kind of long and global view of history, it has not always been obvious and self-evident that all people are born equal and with, with equal dignity and equal rights. Swathes of human history, swathes of, of different civilizations have, have actually believed very differently to that. That declaration of human rights needed to be declared precisely because it is the kind of thing that, that often gets overlooked and pushed to one side. And so we're having to announce and to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to hold ourselves to this. It's actually very hard to account for the worth and equality of every single human being unless you've got a reason that comes from outside humanity itself. And we see something of this again in Psalm 8. David says, what is my man that you are mindful of him? In other words, David is is already convinced from what he knows of God that God is mindful of us. God is not so glorious that he overlooks us. God is so glorious that he can't overlook us. And in a reason, for, for reasons I'm sure that are kind of mysterious to us, we, we matter to him. We're on his mind. That is what David is saying. He says in the next verse, you've made man, mankind, humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings. So we're not, you know, we're not up there fully, but we're only a little bit lower. And he says, you've crowned us with, with glory and honour. And again, we, we sense that, don't we? Not consistently, not all the time, not as much as we should, but we, we, we get a sense that there is something uniquely worthy about any other human being. But you will never meet a human being who isn't amazing in some way. Everyone is. You, you get a bit of time with someone, you scratch under the surface, you find out a bit about what makes them tick. Something about their amazingness will become apparent to you. Every single person you meet is amazing. They're worthy of your care, they're worthy of your service, they're worthy of your, of your respect. But we also know that every single human being is a bit of a mess. Again, you scratch below the surface, you spend a bit of time with someone, you begin to see some of the ways in which they're a mess. The fact is, we're just not, we're not very good at being people. And because we matter to God, that matters to God too. It's one of the big issues in, in Christianity that we have to sort of come to terms with. 
And yet, as you may know, if you're familiar with the Christian faith, we're significant enough that God doesn't just leave us in that mess. But actually, God has shown us just how significant we are because we're significant enough for God to care about us. We're significant enough for God to want to help us and even to serve us. And we're significant enough that God would actually become one of us. That is the central claim of the Christian faith, is that God has stepped into this world, that Jesus was born as a human being, the one who made the stars was born under a star, that the creator became part of his own creation. And Jesus' kind of wider claim was that he was going to restore us to God so that we could know him and thereby know our identity and we could have a right relationship with each other as well. And so it's not just that the stars now that cause us to wonder at the love of God, it's, it's the cross of Jesus on which he died that causes us to wonder at the love of God. As I look at the, the death of Jesus dying to, to reconcile me to God, I, I'm forced to ask the question, you know, who am I that, that you should be mindful of me? Because it's at the death of Jesus we most see both our smallness in that Jesus needed to die for us and our significance that Jesus would choose to die for us. And it's by doing so that we can actually begin to, to discover, perhaps for the first time, our real identity. It's not discovered in our own heart. It's not, it's not given to us by the, the people around us. It's something that we receive as a gift from our Creator because He knows us fully and He knows us exhaustively. And so the identity He shows us we have is is the only identity that will ultimately fit. So how can I find my identity? That The short, maybe slightly predictable answer, given this is a, a Christian event, we find it in Jesus. Um, there was a, a woman who, who met Jesus on one occasion, you can read about this in John chapter 4, um, in a place called Samaria. They had a, a kind of a, a long kind of back and forth conversation at the end of which she began to tweak who Jesus was and the very first thing she said afterwards was, she said to, to the people in her own town, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Something about understanding Jesus gave her a unique understanding of herself in a way that showed her only, only God himself could make this much sense of my life. And certainly that's been my experience. I think that would be the experience of of all who, who would say that they're Christians. So thank you for, for listening. I'm going to hand over to, to Josh, who will lead us in the Q&A. So, uh, thanks, Sam. Um, yes, yeah, so we're going to have a Q&A now. So if you just follow the instructions on the screen um, to submit your questions, we'll give you a couple minutes to do that, and then Sam can start asking, an answering questions. Cool. <laughs> Okay, thank you. We've got a, some, some great questions that have come through already. We're, we'll open it up as well. If people want to ask questions in person, we can do that too. But we wanted to provide a slide there for anyone who wants to kind of ask things a bit more discreetly or anonymously. You're, you're welcome to do that. And they're going to feed questions sure. too. Kick us off, Josh. So our first question is, does an identity defined by Jesus mean that I become exactly like every other Christian? Or can I still have the things I like slash enjoy about myself too? Yeah, I, lo I love that question, um, and I, I sense the um, the implied, um, you know, apprehension of wanting to become like every other Christian. Um, there'll be some some stereotypes there that are sometimes true of, of Christians. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so now this is, this is, this is kind of, um, to, to me as a Christian, this is both glorious and weird at the same time. But as we, as we so part of what, what happens in, in the Christian life is we become more like Jesus. Jesus is, in his coming, he is being the perfect human. He is being the image of God that we were called to be and never quite lived up to. And so part of what it means to be a Christian is that you're, you're being given your humanity back and the, the more you follow Jesus, the more truly human you become. Which means, and this is, this is where it's kind of both glorious and a bit weird, the more, the more Christians become like Jesus doesn't mean the more they become like each other. I don't know how Jesus pulls that off, I just know that he does. Um, me becoming more like Jesus and Josh becoming more like Jesus doesn't mean we become more like each other. I don't become more Joshy and he doesn't become more like Sam. He's probably very thankful for that. Um, and, and nor do I become less individual in, in my own sense either. I don't become a non-person when I become more like Jesus. I actually, the amazing thing is we, we become more like the person that we were always meant to be. And most of us, again, have some sense within us that we don't, we don't quite measure up to even what we think we should be. Very few people, you know, occasionally you meet someone who is fully convinced they're everything they're meant to be, and they're normally a nightmare to be around. Most of us have enough of a sense of, I don't, I don't feel like I measure up even to my sense of who I'm supposed to be. But as, as, you, as you get to know Jesus and, and walk with him, you, you actually become the person God thought up in the first place when he came up with the idea of you. Um, so I become more the real me as I, as I press on with Jesus. So we don't, kind of, we don't lose our distinctiveness. We don't kind of get our, our individuality doesn't get kind of you know, rubbed out. We don't get kind of smushed into one another in some sort of generalised sense. We, we actually... Our individuality becomes glorious rather than just a mixed bag. Um, so I hope that I hope that helps. So you don't, yeah, you won't become more like the other Christians in terms of, you know, you suddenly like certain things you didn't, you know, you know what I mean. You don't suddenly conform to some cultural stereotype of what a Christian is. You don't all become Ned Flanders. That's what I'm saying. Um, so yeah. Um, next question that we have is why aren't our hearts trustworthy? Yeah, that is that is what Jesus says. Um, so, in one sense, it's it's the question we need to put to him. So he says in in um, there's a few places where he says this. I'm I'm thinking of of Matthew chapter 15. He says the same thing in Mark chapter 7. Um, and it, it's a really significant point that he's making. Let me just read this out to you. He says. Um, in Mark 15, verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So that sense of us not quite being what we're supposed to be, Jesus says ultimately the root cause of that is our hearts. It is our hearts that are making us not what we're supposed to be. And it's because our hearts don't love what they're supposed to love. Our, our loves are disordered and messed up. So Jesus says the most important thing is that we love God with, with our, all our heart, soul, mind and strength and that we love our neighbours as ourselves. That's what we're designed for. Those, those, are, those are loves rightly ordered. And part of the, the kind of Christian diagnosis of the heart is that our, our loves are out of whack. They're, they're, they're disordered. And so our, our loves are skewed in some way. Um, 
which means we, we often love the wrong things. Uh, and we love the wrong things sometimes in the wrong way. Sometimes we love the right things, but we just love them the wrong amount. And so there's, there's lots of ways in which our hearts are, are kind of confused. Um, and again, sometimes we, we feel awareness of that. We, we know that we can be our own worst enemy. Um, that there, there are reasons we think that. But Jesus says what we ultimately need is, is a heart that is being made new in him. And that, that again, is exactly what he's, he claims to be giving us through his death, death and resurrection. Um, that we, we need hearts that are aligned in the way that they're supposed to be. So that's, that's yeah, that would be my answer to that. Um, the next question is, how does Jesus show us who we are? Yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I guess the answer to that is, it's, it's not as if there's a, there's a chapter in one of the Gospels that, that is about who Sam Albury is, and therefore that's how I find out who I truly am. It's, it's more that as we, as we look at Jesus, we see ourselves in our truest light. There's something exposing about Jesus. And the best way to prove this to you is to, to ask each of you to read a gospel of to, to read one of the, the gospels in the Bible. And I am confident you will have a sense as you read one of the gospels that the gospel is reading you. And I, I've seen this, this has happened to me, it's happened to so many people I've known where People who were, were thinking, I'll, I'll read a bit of the Bible because I want to find out a bit about what Christians believe, but I'm not interested in it for myself. I'm just doing this at arm's length. And yet as you begin to engage with the message of Jesus, you begin to realise he's, he's, kind of he's kind of exposing things in your heart. It, it just happens as you become familiar with this message. There's these um, little grey booky things on the, the front down here. These, those are... Copies of the Gospel of Mark, which I, I gather are available to anyone who wants to take one, right? Um, just give me $50. <laughs> Is that right? okay. uh, just take one of those. Um, and that will answer the question of how does Jesus show us who we are? We, we find out who we truly are in the light of, of beginning to understand who he is. Which makes sense if he really is our creator, that actually it's by looking at him we'll get a sense of, of where we truly are in relation to him. So, yeah, if you, if you really want to know that, pick up a gospel and, and have a read. Mark is, is the shortest gospel as well, if that helps. Um, next question that we have is, how can I show slash tell non-Christians that identity in Christ is worth pursuing? Yeah, I, I hope that would be the... I hope that would be the sort of the felt experience of, of every Christian. There are ups and downs in the Christian life. So it's not that, you know, we're not saying if you become Christian, everything in life just automatically gets easier. Some things actually get a bit harder. Um, but we, we do find that, that overall we're able to make, make more sense of life. Um, uh, I forgot what the question was. Uh, how do I tell someone that... That identity in Christ is worth pursuing. Yeah, um, I, I think one of the reasons, the way we try and explain that is, is to try and point people to what Jesus is claiming he can do for us. Because the, the claims of Jesus really are very unique. Um, he's, he's, again, he's claiming to, to show us who we truly are. He's claiming us to, to, to help us find an identity in him that will be our true identity. Um, 
And experience as, as, as a Christian begins to, to kind of bear that out. We, we, we feel something of that um, over time as we, as we walk with Jesus. Um, so if you're someone who's kind of wondering about this and, and you're kind of, you're not convinced, then that's entirely understandable. You're kind of like, nah, I'm not so sure about this. Um, it's, it's worth looking into, right? I mean, if, if there's a chance this is the case, that this will be the best way for you to understand who you are and what your life is about and what your life should mean, that that is worth finding out. So I would, again, I would look at the message of Jesus yourself. Don't just take our word for it. And I would, I would, if you're someone who's thinking about this, I would quiz your Christian friends and say, what does it mean for you to be finding your identity in Christ? That, that would be good for the Christian because we, sometimes we don't think about this enough. Um, so it, it, that'll be a good conversation to have. Does anyone want to ask a, a question in the room? We've got plenty of others, I think, coming up, just in case anyone wants to come back on any of that or ask something live, you're very welcome to. If not, we'll crack on with, um, with the Slido ones. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, next question: What does basing our identity in Jesus look like in how we think about other things like achievements? Yeah, it, it kind of puts everything in, in the right proportion. So there, there's tons of things that are are true of us, but not every one of those things is is the the key to us. Not everything that describes me defines me. Lots of things describe me. I'm I'm someone's son. I'm someone's friend. Um, you know, I. I'm someone who has a, a very mixed academic record. Um, I'm someone who is, is hopeless at, at sports. Um, do those things define me? They could do. I mean, I could, I could, those things could become defining for me. Some of them were defining for me at certain times of, of life. But what I find by, by following Jesus is it helps me work out a way, to put it crudely, it helps me kind of rank the various things that are true of me to know which, which are significant and which are not. It turns out, I, I don't think it matters very much that I'm not very good at sport. It felt like a big deal when I was 15 and at a high school where, where sporting prowess was, was kind of the, the big deal in life, but I've realised that that doesn't matter a huge amount. Um, so it, it helps us to put all of those things in a healthy proportion. Some of those things are true things, are good things. Some of them are, are mixed things. Um, but it, it stops us from over-trusting in certain aspects of ourselves and, and making those things the be-all and end-all. Because again, if, if your identity becomes based on the way you look, for example. Um, a, a friend of mine is, is probably the, one of the best-looking people I've met in real life. Um, and it's... It's not actually been great for him. You'd think, wow, that would be, that would be pretty nice. He, he's someone who literally, if he's, you know, when he's looking his best, he, he'll walk down the street and heads will turn. I've, I've seen that happen. Um, but here's the thing he's wrestled with, and, and one of the, the reasons I love being his friend is because I, I, I want to keep saying to him, you know you're more than how you look, right? I mean, you're way more than that. I mean, that's great. You look great. But actually, they're... Who you are is, is way more than that and is even more valuable than that. Because the danger is that becomes the thing other people make the, the, the big deal about him. That his experience is, is training him to make his looks his, his identity. 
And I keep wanting to say to him, yeah, they're, they're, they're you know, you're unusually good looking, but <laughs> it, it would diminish you if that became the kind of, the, the thing that, that if, that, if that had star billing in your own understanding of who you are, you would be missing out on loads of other things that are actually pretty amazing about you. And also, it makes you then vulnerable to losing that identity because, you know, you're going to get older, uh, the, the hair will go, um, your, your body shape will change. Um, one, of, one of the fun things about, um, you know, social media is people I was kind of a little bit in awe of when I was at high school, I look at them now in their 40s and think, oh, okay, that, that didn't go well. Um, it, it's a really unstable thing to sink your identity into. So that, that is one of the things that actually is, is liberating about finding our identity in Jesus, is our identity is, is in something that is now secure and consistent. Everything else in this life that we might put our identity in can, can go in the blink of an eye um, because, you know, stuff happens in life. You, circumstances change quickly. You lose your money, you lose your, your looks, you get dumped, you flunk an exam, you lose your job, whatever it might be. All of those things we might want to put our identity in, it can, it can get taken from us so quickly. But it, in Jesus, it means our identity is in something that is now secure and unchanging, that, that can actually bear the weight of who we actually are as, as people God has made. What's the next one? Um, so the next one we have, we've got time for maybe two more. Um, next one that we have, uh, what are some of the challenging things about defining our identity in Jesus? Yeah, I think the challenging thing is, is the, the flip side of everything I've just said. It, it's, um, it's a constant process as, as a Christian of, of trying to make sure I'm, again, I'm, I'm ordering those things in the right way and getting those things in the right balance and perspective because again our natural tendency is, is still to latch on to things that are good and right and significant in their own way but it's too easy for me to make those the big thing the main thing and, and lose perspective on Jesus so it, it does involve having to to let go of certain things uh, you know if you discover there's something you're really good at as a Christian you know you've got some amazing talent Finding your identity in Jesus means you've got to actually resist the temptation to make that talent defining of you. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing to have the talent, it's a great thing, but it's a lousy thing to have as the core of your identity. So there's a sense in which one of the challenging things about being a Christian is, is demoting some things that we, we kind of, part of our heart wants to make the best thing about me, and say, actually, no, that's a good thing, but it, it's, it's not that significant. And our final question, uh, how does my identity in Christ affect my decision on who to date? Ah, yes. Um, well, it, it involves obviously a lot more than that. It, it, may even, it may even raise the question, should I date? Am I, am I, am I going to be a good catch for someone right now? Um, and sometimes the, the wise thing is to think, actually, I, I, I wouldn't recommend going out with me right now. So I might think, okay... My identity in Christ is showing me I need, to, I need to grow more, I need to mature more before I inflict myself on some poor unsuspecting other person. So there's, there's that dimension too. And there's, the, there's wisdom the Bible would have about relationships, about friendships. Um, they, those are amazing gifts of God. But they're also, because they're so significant, those are things we can get wrong 
really profoundly if we're not wise. And so there's there's cautions in certain areas in, in the Bible. There's wisdom. There's there's guidance and instructions that Jesus has. So um, that that would be a, a great subject for another talk, which I won't give. So yeah. Thank you for your questions, brother. I really appreciate it.